Amen. Uh, wow, really glad you're here with us today. Lots of visitors, obviously, people from uh, all kinds of different places to see these baptisms, and we are going to give uh, those baptisms the time that they need this morning, and so uh, I'm going to be a little bit shorter. My name's Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church, and uh, today we're going to be in the book of First John. Uh, we're going to still be going through Scripture as we always do. We're in a series right now on the book of First John, and in First John 5 we hit some stuff that's going to be perfect for talking about baptism, God's planning, not ours. Um, but uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn or tap your way there. If you don't, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. Uh, yeah, gosh, there's lots of you today. <laughs> Listen, all the breathing and maybe other expelling that you may be doing is going to make it loud in here. If you start to get sleepy and start to go, feel free to flick the nose of the person next to you. <laughs> Stay awake. This is very important stuff. Uh, and we are thrilled that you're here visiting with us at Hope Church. My task this morning, as we go through Scripture and talk about what Scripture is talking about, is to bring clarity to the concept of baptism. And why do we need clarity? We need clarity because we live in a world where that word gets thrown around and used by people from lots of different traditions and lots of different backgrounds. What does the Bible really teach about it? Why do we do something like baptism? You stop for a minute and think about the kinds of things that we do in our world today. Maybe at a birthday you'll blow out candles. And that's fun and we do it as part of a tradition. It's a thing that you enact and who knows what it really represents. It's kind of a little dark if you start to think about what it might represent. <laughs> Another year older and then the lights go out. You know, I don't know what it initially represented, but uh, now we do it for kids. So maybe it's not so dark. Uh, in marriage, you know, you, you go to your wedding ceremony and they give you a ring and you smooch. And then that's, that's it. There's not a lot else to it. And then, though, you come to a church and we're going to ask adult people to step up into um, what, what is essentially a horse trough. Now, I don't want to <laughs> dispel, like, the mystique around it. I mean, it's, it's been really well done with the casters and wood around it and stuff, but it is a horse trough. I bought it at a tractor supply place. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's what it is. And we're going to ask those adults to get in there and to, to be lowered into that water and then come back up totally doused, totally wet. Why? And why are you here to watch it? Why was this the thing that drew a crowd? Really this? Okay. Why? Well, what does the scripture teach about this in particular? We're, we're following after Jesus. We're doing what he did, but even that adds more confusion to it. If you know things about Jesus, why is this the thing that we're going to cling to? As something to, to do like he did. Why not become carpenters or camp full time or move to Palestine? Or There's so many other things he did. What is it about baptism that we have to follow so particularly? And what is it about his baptism that's distinct from our baptism? crucial point and one that I hope that you'll see as we read through the scripture together. So 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. We're going to go through it together. You ready? Let's read. 
This is he, meaning Jesus, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For the three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he, born, uh, that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. What's happening here? In all of this book, we're trying to follow the main themes of the book, and it's telling us about confidence and assurance and the firm grounding for our faith that we can have. John is trying to help early Christians to have confidence when, even though they heard and they believed, they started to get attacks from other places. and different People that have different thoughts or people that used to be with them and maybe even teachers of them that have now accepted something different and moved on from what they originally received from the apostles. And he's reminding them through this book of the testimony of history. The testimony of the apostles, the testimony of those around them who have felt and experienced and known and believed the things that have been taught about Jesus. And what are they testifying to? Not just Jesus, but something very specific about Jesus, a key through which you get into everything else about Jesus. The testimony is right at the very end there in verses 11 and 12. I was going to reread it. This is God's testimony about Jesus given through apostles, through history. If we had more time, I'd love to tell you more about that part. And through the church as we experience these things together. This is the testimony. Ready? God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Then He spells it out. I love how how just absolutely clear this is. You ready? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What is this testimony? Let's break it down by phrase by phrase. Quickly, because, you know, again, we've got to be fast today, but... What is he saying? He's saying eternal life. What does that mean? Does it mean that you'll never die? No, but yes. It does mean that God is giving you something that is indestructible. Something that is death proof. Something that takes the sting away from death. It's not just spiritual enlightenment. We have so many people now that are spiritual, but they're not religious. And I understand that. We want to have a connection with God that is real, and we want to strip away all the pieces that other men have added onto it that have nothing to do with how you relate to God. And we don't, we don't want to have that. We don't want to have that checklist like Gina was talking about. We want to have a real encounter with the real God. 
But we're not just talking about spirituality or mysticism. We're talking about real life given by God to us. What? What is that life? I think that life is seen so specifically in the way that love is felt by us. Here's what I mean by that. It is true of every real love you've ever had that it feels like it should be unending. And it rings false in any philosophy you've ever heard when they say that that love will get cut off, will end. It's not going to last past a certain point. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, we watched recently The Lion King, and that movie has always traumatized me personally. If you ever rewatch it, it's dark. I don't want to uh, pretend like I'm just soft because I got traumatized by a kid's movie. But I was a kid, I watched it, and it traumatized me. The part where, and you know what I'm going to say, Mufasa gets killed by all the wildebeest. You get choked up thinking about it. <laughs> and Simba. He's, he did it to save his son. And Simba goes up to the dad who's dead, his dead dad body, dead. And his son goes up to it and just starts nosing it. Dad, get up. Get up, dad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, if you've seen it, that it pulls on something emotionally for you. It should. If it doesn't, let's talk. <laughs> or let's not, because you're a sociopath. But it pulls on something because you can imagine, you can imagine that most graphic of realities, the cutting short of life, seemingly the cutting short of love. And the message of the Lion King wrapped in this sort of... um, Uh, you know, circle of life that sounds very Eastern and mystic maybe, but I think it's just really secular. It's the idea that like you go back to the earth and then that fertilizer that you become helps to provide life to other things. But if you actually believe that, there's no hope there. And it doesn't ring true. What you're saying, and they don't even play by their own rules because then Mufasa becomes like a sky dad and Simba interacts with him. So they're not even playing by their own rules. But if you actually do believe that sort of secularized version, that you become fertilizer, the fertilizer becomes grass, and then, you know, whatever, you're believing something that I don't think you can hold consistently. Because if I told you that the Wasatch Mountains are going to be gone tomorrow, gone, I don't think you'd believe me. Even if that big earthquake that's supposed to come happens tomorrow, you're still going to have those mountains. They may look different, but they're still going to be there. How can something that is so permanent, so solid, so real, ever really just disappear, go away like that? Can I tell you, when someone says that about love, that it's chemical, that it's, it's some sort of an emotional reaction to a reality that only exists as long as you live or they live, I think you should raise the same eyebrow and skepticism. We all know that love is longer than that. Love is bigger than that. And the fact of our lives being cut short through death should cause you to have some sort of a question mark. Some sort of deep set 
unequal sign. What God is saying here in the gospel is that he is giving us eternal life, meaning eternal love. Life with him. That's what life is. Life is when you really have love. If you're alive but you don't have love, that's just existence. Love is what he is offering. He is offering you himself. As you go through the Gospel of John, as you go through these books, other books written by John, it's very clear when he brings these things together. God is love. He, who is a thing, a real person who exists, loves you. And the love that you feel towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards other people, is a reflection of the love that he has for you. You And he's saying that he's bringing you to himself, that he is going to give you this eternal life. And then he is resting it on this middle passage here on this testimony piece. We're going to see the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. If you've ever believed what a man has said to be true, then you should believe what God says because he's greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever doesn't believe, God has made God a liar. He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. What's it saying? It's saying that for anything to ever be truly true, this is a little philosophical, but it's just true. Anything ever to be truly true, it can't rest on our perception as people. It has to rest on something that's above people. It's just the way it has to be. If anything is ever truly true, really, really going to be true, not just true for you or true for me or true on Tuesday, not on Thursday, it has to actually be founded in something above us. And that one is Him. I think that's what's behind the verse Numbers 23, 19. We talk about it, we should talk about it more. You should memorize this verse. God is not a man that He should lie, or the Son of Man that He should change His mind. Has he spoken and will he not do it? Uh, Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? What is it saying there? The, The idea behind this verse is that God cannot lie. That's what it is to be God. We can lie. We're people. We can lie out of good intention. You look great today. We can lie out of incomplete knowledge. You just didn't know. Yeah, we're going to be there at 5 o'clock. And you're not there until 5.30. What happened? Well, you got kids and you just thought it was going to be 5. But you have incomplete knowledge. You lied. And we can just lie wickedly. But God is not a man that he should lie. And this testimony, John is just helping us to remember the foundation of this testimony. You can build your house on this rock. The foundation of this testimony that is sure, and yet this is not even the primary place he bases his testimony because he then, if you remember the first part of this passage, starts talking about the water and the blood and the spirit. Let's reread it. Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Capital S, Spirit, is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Verse 8 there, Spirit, water, blood. Let's talk about them. The Spirit, what does that mean? 
Well, it means the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the very God of very God who is the Spirit. John 15, 26, Jesus talked about the Helper. But when the Helper comes, whom I send, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he's God, he can't lie, Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And that's happening all the time. Our prayer is that it's happening right now is that as we speak these words as true, the Holy Spirit is interacting with your hearts and helping you to understand and believe that these things are true. F.F. Bruce says it this way. He's a commentator, uh, a really wise guy. I think he's dead now. He wrote a a commentary on this 1 John book, and he says, the Spirit witnesses in the believer's heart and in the believing community their experience of his power and guidance confirms the truth of the gospel to which they have committed themselves. That's what these individuals are saying as they're being baptized. They're saying, me too. This happened to me also. And yet, I hate this argument. Because I can't access this argument. I can't access your experience. Don't you hate that? Somebody says, well, I know because it happened to me. Oh, okay. Well, now I can't argue anymore. Now I just have to listen to your biography as you tell me what happened to you. This doesn't prove it for me when it happens to you. And yet, and this is what it says. It says, the Spirit also witnesses. So we're going to believe that that's true. We're going to pray that he does what he does. And, because the Bible doesn't leave us with just subjective experience, and we're also going to look at these other foundations for our testimony. The water. Now, what water might he be talking about? You probably guessed it. On Baptism Sunday, when he's talking about water, we're referring to his baptism at Jesus' water submersion baptism by John the Baptist. He was declared the Son of God, commissioned for his work, and empowered for his work. The baptism of Jesus is written in all three of what we call them synoptic gospels. Synoptic just means same sounding. They're they're very similar in a lot of the ways that they're patterned. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They give an account of Jesus' baptism. When he comes up out of the water, the Spirit, Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and the Spirit, or the voice of God the Father says, this is my Son. Whom I love. Him I'm well pleased. This is so good. And it says that in each of those three Gospels. But in John's Gospel, same guy who wrote this book of 1 John, he describes John the Baptist teaching about that moment. And in some ways it's more helpful. Not, not more helpful. It's also helpful because it's able for us to understand more of what the meaning behind the baptism was. And we've got to get this. Because his baptism is different than this baptism. It's the same. His baptism, though, is different than this baptism. How? The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. After me comes one who was before me. How's that? Jesus is eternality. But I love the, the, the tenses there. Verse 31. This is John. He's teaching about Jesus. He's teaching about Jesus' baptism. He says, 
I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water. If you remember, this guy, John the Baptist, is baptizing all these people who are coming out and repenting, and he's given them the baptism of John. He's baptizing them in repentance for their sin before a holy God. And yet John the Baptist is saying that part of why he was doing this was that Jesus might be revealed to his people. Verse 32, John bore witness. I saw, Jesus comes up out of the water, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What is this witness that he's talking about? He is saying that the baptism of Jesus is distinct from our baptism in that we are baptized into Jesus. But as Jesus was baptized and came back up out of the water, God himself declared who Jesus is. Now, we're going to baptize these people today, and they are all lovely people. Special, important, lovely, lovely people. Yet, None of them are going to come up out of the water and have the Holy Spirit come down like a dove and rest on them. Can I go ahead and guarantee that? Now, we believe that we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we become Christians, but it's the same thing, it's the same argument that I'm going to be making as we continue here. We are baptized into Him. But as He was baptized, God gave Him that name. He gave Him the Holy Spirit, commissioned Him, empowered Him, the Holy Spirit coming down upon Him, and said... I'm going to quote it from Matthew 3, 17. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we just talked about adoption, and you should care about the orphan, and you should be very big advocates of adoption and foster care. And we are adopted into that name, but we are only adopted into that name that He has. The name of Jesus that is, who God says is, his beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you see how this is different now? You've got to understand it. It's crucial. When we baptize people today, we are not baptizing them into a checklist. This is not one more thing that they do in order to become holy. We are baptizing them into the baptism of Jesus, meaning a totally different thing than Jesus' baptism. And here's kind of how I see it. At our house, we pulled up uh, the carpets on about a quarter of our upstairs, and it was a terrible idea. Now, the kids, our little girls, will put on high heels, Rachel's high heels, and they'll go stomping through the house. Can I tell you what's louder than those high heels stomping around on our wood floors? Not much. It's crazy loud. And they scratch them along, and you can't even stop it because you say, hey, please go put those away. They go, good, Dad. And then they stomp off to go put them away. It just gets louder. And it is cute. You see the little girls wearing mom's shoes. And Rachel's still very petite. But like for an adult woman's shoe to be worn by a little girl, it's funny. But one day it'll be actual. Like one day their feet will be big enough to wear women's size high heel shoes. One day, they will have events that they'll go to where they'll need to dress up classy. They'll need to put on fancy clothes because they're going to something that's important. And they too are important. They're going to they're gonna receive that mantle of adult female. 
Is that what we're talking about? If you want to learn to walk, you can learn to walk as a child by watching other walkers who are like you. You watch your parents, you watch your siblings, they walk, you're going to walk, you can learn it. Is that what this is? If you want to learn to fly, though, you have to get into an airplane and just sit. That's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying there is a total difference between learning to walk and learning to fly. You can learn obedience to God as you see other people's example. But you cannot enter into the presence of God Based on your own effort, your presence, the, your ability to stand before the holiness of God and to fly up into what is above, into his presence, is solely dependent on whether or not you have received the name of Jesus. It says that all throughout the Bible. We have in Isaiah that talks about how we're going to be lifted up on eagles' wings. What's it talking about? It's a really fun little picture of it in, in Lord of the Rings, where Frodo and Sam, right at the very end, big climactic moment, get picked up by the eagles, and they can't, they can't go any further, they can't do any more, and that's when they get picked up by the eagles and taken away into salvation. Is that what you understand to be happening this morning? Because that's what the Bible says is happening in baptism. You are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And we are trusting in the work of Jesus Christ to bring us before the Father. It's trust, not work, that's going to put you before the Father. It's standing in, getting into that airplane, and sitting down to allow Him to carry you before the Father. How can I prove that? Well, because it's not just the water, it's the water and the blood. He has to do what you cannot do. He has to die for your sin. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's he referencing? He was a Jew talking to Jews. They would have understood very little as much as they understood the Passover. When God saved the people of Israel from the angel of death by having a little lamb, a pure spotless lamb, killed. And that sacrifice of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, was put over the lintels of the house so that that home would be passed over. All throughout the, the nation of Israel from that point forward, they would sacrifice under the Mosaic law, having the death of an animal cover the sin of an individual. But in Jesus, we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because when Jesus died, His blood shed for us, He could forgive to the uttermost, our sin. That is not something that you and I can do. We can't do it for ourselves, and we can't do it for anyone else. If you're guilty, you can't serve my sentence. Someone who is innocent can serve my sentence. Does that make sense? And that's what the testimony is here. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. It's only in His Son. That whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You and I have done something that requires cleaning. 
There's a holy God who is a holy king and you and I have dishonored him. And whether you agree that your sin is of great magnitude or you can at least just agree that this God is of great holiness, something great had to happen for you to be forgiven. And this is the testimony that God gives about his son, that he who was baptized and then died, died for you. So that you could be hidden in that baptism. You could be put into that plane to be brought before his face. Have you done that? Do you understand that? Belong before you believe. We, we're going to give you a long runway, or whatever the, however we adjust that illustration. We're going to give you a long time in the terminal before you decide if you're going to fly or not. I don't know, whatever. We're going to give you time to evaluate, to understand, to ask questions. But our hope, our, always our hope is that you are moving to this point where you say to Jesus, Lord, forgive me for my sin and cover me in his sacrifice. That's what these people have said. And that's what they're saying this morning. Let's do these baptisms. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would make your gospel clear, that you would take the foolishness of preaching and bring through it the clarity of the gospel that you would take dead words and bring about life, that your Holy Spirit would just blow through this place this morning, bringing testimony of these things into the hearts of those who hear. And we pray that as you do that, Lord, that testimony, that salvation, that forgiveness would resound in your glory for all eternity. pray these things in your Son's holy name.